Welcome to the Providence Community Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Christy Prague. If you would like to stay connected with us, download our app, Providence Community, or visit our website, providencecommunity.org. Well, it's Christmas week. Yay! How many love Christmas? Wow. Like a quarter of you. Uh, you know, there's hate. You know, it's just one of those times. That it's it's either, you know, the, the different uh, holidays that someone's favorite is Easter, somebody else is summer. <laughs> I grew up in upstate New York, right on Lake Ontario, and we averaged 120 inches of snow every year, 100 to 120. And I just remember the last winter there. Uh, I just remember one when I was a kid, it was 140 inches, and I. I used to see these commercials about California. I just thought, someday <laughs> I will go to California. Um, so I've been there, and now I'm back. I don't want to go to California anymore. <laughs> um, but I visit other communist countries, and uh, I'm sorry. Oh, I'm, I'm going to hear about that one. My apologies. I have dear friends in California. Um, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> Okay. Well, thank you all. It's been wonderful being here. <laughs> um, holidays brings holiday movies, and you go through your list of holiday movies. Uh, whose favorite is, it's, uh, let's see, uh, uh, White Christmas. Got both of you, all three of you, all right. Uh, let's see, um, National Lampoon Christmas Vacation. Oh, there we go. Uh, a Christmas Carol. You've got two favorites over there. Okay, good. Uh, how about It's a Wonderful Life? We had friends that used to hate that um, because they said it was just depressing. And so we sat down with them and we said, I want you to watch it and I want you to see what happens. And so at the end of it, she's weeping. This is my favorite movie. You know, um, it's, uh, we're kind of in It's a Wonderful Life all in one year. I mean, George Bailey went through it over a lifetime, but we have it all in one year. And uh, I'm, I, I want to talk about a key this morning that opens every door. I, I think, um, well, obviously, we talk about that kind of a thing. We're talking about uh, First Corinthians when it, it speaks about the gifts in chapter 12. And, and I just want to say one little thing about the gifts of the Spirit. Um, the, some of us think that we have a gift, one. Uh, but if you have the Spirit of God, you have the potential of every gift being used when you need it. It's like a tool belt with nine different tools uh, all in one tool. And you take it out and you use, oh, it's a screwdriver. And you go, you go your whole life, oh, it's only a screwdriver. It's great. I hope someday to have scissors and this and that. But if you really look at it closely, it's got everything you need. <clears throat> so I just, I just wanted to say that. Be, uh, um, Christmas uh, is it's a sweet, it's a wonderful time. Um, but it's a time where what was bestowed upon us is more than we realize is there. That God has given us something that has so much more than we think it does. It's more than just a sweet holiday. I love it. I love Christmas. I, I love 
Um, when winter's over, those are my two favorite seasons. Um, Christmas Day and then when winter's over. Okay. Um, but, you know, George Bailey, I, I just, I love Jimmy Stewart. He was my favorite actor growing up. I just thought he was, he was wonderful. And he plays a guy named George Bailey in It's a Wonderful Life. And <clears throat> this poor guy, he's about ready to leave. He's been thinking his whole life. He gets a suitcase. He's about ready to put on all the places in the world that he wants to go to. And uh, then he, he finds out that his, his brother is, is going to get this full-ride scholarship. So he, he stays and helps his father in the local savings and loan. And he lets his brother go to college with this full-ride scholarship. And he's waiting for him to come back. He comes back. He finds out he's, he's married. And he's, he's about ready to take off again to go see the world because that's his dream. And then his father passes away and he has to take over the savings and loan again. And then he finally meets Mary, and they fall in love, and they get married. And on their way out of town with all the money, the stock market crashes, and he has to run back in to save the savings and loan. And uh, if you haven't seen the movie, I'm really sorry that I just told you the entire plot. Um, <clears throat> but it all works out really well. And the, the thing, I, I, we haven't seen that. We've seen all the other movies um, pretty much so far, waiting for our kids to come this week uh, to save a couple of them. But um, I was thinking about that one this week, and I thought, <clears throat> what was it that George kept doing? And on the, on the one side, it was he, he kept getting bad things happen to him. And I thought, no, no, it's more than that. Each time, uh, he, he didn't have to let his brother go. His brother could have taken over when his father died. They could have just kept going out of town and had their honeymoon. But each time, George laid his life down in a way. And I want to speak about, I just saw in him this key that opens every door, which is, as far as I'm concerned, it's humility. I really think humility is, is something, it's, it's far beyond what we think it is. It's fine. I, I won an award one time for being most humble. Yeah, but they took it away because I wore it all the time. And so, <laughs> no, sorry. <laughs> but it, it's the core of that movie, and it's the core of anything that happens well. It really is. If you, if you see something turn out well, it's because someone uh, walked in humility. You can watch any movie, but you just watch your life. The moment that you lay something down when you think you have the right. Now, we are in a rights culture like never before. I mean, my wife got screamed at in, in the store the other day because her mask, which I think are, are great. I, I wear them. Um, when, I, when I go out, I just, I just want to be responsible. I want to I prefer others. Um, uh, but her mask slipped down because I think she was on the phone. It slipped down underneath her nose. And a woman screamed at her. I mean, in the store that everybody else was like, what's going on? And, and, you know, how dare you put your mask back up? And, and, and my wife just laid off and just smacked her so No, I'm just going <laughs> to. If you know my wife, you know that would be impossible. She just, she, she didn't, you know, turn around, react, and, and, you know, scream back at her. She just held it, turned, and then just walked slowly away. I thought, I can't believe you did that. I don't know if I would have done that. 
Um, but my wife is a beautiful and humble person. Um, but we live in a world of rights and privileges, and uh, it, it, is, it is more so now than I think that I've ever seen it. And uh, you're, you're sitting here going, well, <clears throat> this is not a Christmas message. Yes, it is. I think Christmas is the ultimate reminder of what humility is. It's, it, it, you know, we gather together and we enjoy family. We have great food. I can't wait for this chutney ham that my wife is going to make for Christmas. Oh, man. I, my kids are coming. My daughter, my daughter gave me a picture yesterday of a cinnamon raisin sourdough bread that she's making. Because I can't wait to bring this, Dad. And I said, "Yes, I can't wait either." This is, um, and we have all these peripheral things. But in terms of the message itself, it's God left glory for me. That's the simple message. Jesus, you know, when you you, you hear the expression, you know, I've always known so and so, you know. I feel like I've always known Nathan. I haven't, but I feel like I've always known him. But Jesus is the only one that can say, I've always known the Father. Always will, but always has. Again, I've said it before, but I can understand forever this way. It's forever that way that my brain doesn't get what has always been. And Jesus has always been with the Father. And yet... He chose to say yes for the most horrendous situation that's going to come up 33 years later. And yet he steps down. Philippians 2 says, your attitude should be the same as Christ who made himself nothing in taking the nature of a servant. Oh, I love that. When we think of Christmas, I want us sometime to ask God for the revelation of leaving glory. If you can ever get that, I remember years ago, I was just asking, what was it like to leave what you had? And I, I, I don't have a full understanding, but I got a glimpse of something far beyond whatever I ever experienced to come down. It didn't just come down, you know, <clears throat> as a 30-year-old man to do ministry. He came down as a baby. I mean, we have a little two-year-old that's going to be at our house this week. I, I just can't wait. It's one, and she loves to do bun runs. Now, do you know what bun runs are? It's when you run around, there's nothing covering your buns. <laughs> it's a bun run. <laughs> and she'll, she'll wiggle and say, you want to do a bun run? <laughs> so we're watching on FaceTime. It's nothing like little two-year-old buns running around the house. I love it. I hope she's not listening to this. this, this, this. Um, but he came down in the, in the form of this little baby. I mean, even when, when we're born, um, the, the way that God created us to be born in the safest, here, in the safest way is head first, face down. Which is the, the absolute look of humility. When you, when you come before someone and they're, they're, they're great, you want to respect it, there's, there's just, you know, you would, you'd, you'd bow down to a king or a queen. And that, that's a place where you humble yourself. And yet that's how God births us in the safest way. I think that's amazing. 
Mary and Joseph, they're told, no, no, no room here, um, but we got this outbuilding <laughs> that you can go to. Uh, there's maybe one or two non-walls, but God bless you, that's, that's all we got. And we don't hear anything in scripture about them complaining. They just went and, and did that. Again, I don't know if I would do that. No, I'm not going there. You move someone to another room. No, I wouldn't do that. But I, they, 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 they humbled themselves and, and God created a scenario for the ultimate humility for his son to be born, not even in a house. He was born around animals. I just think this is amazing. Even Jesus' life, he's born. He doesn't immediately, now we have him at 12 years old. He's kind of checking things out, what ministry is going to be like. Uh, but he doesn't do anything till 30. But what does he do? Well, he does a lot. He serves his mother until he's 30 years old. Servant, humility. He's the ultimate humble man. And he comes at 30 years old, he begins his ministry. And how many, how many mothers, you know, I'm going to go follow my son wherever he goes. Why would she do that? Because she knew what he was like for 30 years. She gave up everything she had and whatever kind of home that was there, whatever kind of security that was there, because this man is humble and wise and I trust everything he does. I, it's amazing. I, my mother, I don't know if she would do that. Matthew 20 says, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. In Philippians 2 it says, and he was found in the appearance of a man, and he humbled himself, became obedient unto death, even to the death of a cross. <clears throat> um, I don't know how many sermons I've ever heard on being humble. I've heard sermons against pride. I think the, the, the worst thing you can do is pre, have, have your preaching against so that you have 40 minutes of against. I think if you give an invitation to the opposite, it's much more effective. I mean, seriously, how many of us have ever had pride in our life I'm waiting. Thank you. <laughs> That's not to make you feel bad. That's just the fact that at some point in time, we say me, not you. And we just, you know, that, that's it. I've had enough. Well, Jesus never had enough. He was always enough. And so he never got to the point where, you know, it, others didn't matter, which I think is just absolutely amazing. Um, there's an old saying, alignment must, proce must precede assignment. So to be aligned before you're assigned. And I don't always think that that's, I, I think it's mostly true. I don't always think it's always true. You have to be totally aligned before God will give you an assignment. No, I've, I've been aligned a bit. And God sends me out and he aligns me as I go. But I think in this case... Humility is one of those things that if we're aligned a bit, we start the process and we've got arrogance and pride and me first in us, we're going to see some, you know, arrangements along the way to give us humility to step into. Because 
with the greater aspects of humility in our life that lead, that become um, a core to who we are, <clears throat> the, the invitation from God through others increases. I mean, seriously, you don't, I don't invite arrogant people to my house that often. <laughs> hey, let's have a bunch of arrogant, prideful people over. No, I, I don't want that. <laughs> and the world doesn't want that. <clears throat> um, <clears throat> the benefits of humility, uh, as I said, it's a master key. Um, I, I had a master key once in a in church I pastored in upstate New York, and it was the, it was the master, and it had a, a, an M on it. I used to love that. Wow, this will open every door in the church. And so I got ordained on a Sunday, and I came in on a Monday. Actually, Monday was everybody's day off, so I came in on Tuesday, <laughs> and I walked into the church, and person who cleans the church and vacuums and cleans all the bathrooms from the Sunday service was sick. So this opened the door to all the stuff that I got to clean toilets on my first day as the pastor. <laughs> I thought, this is awesome. I love this. I, I, I can have one of those stories that somebody else had. The first day as a pastor, I cleaned toilets. And I did, because we had a service coming up on Wednesday. So a, a hall had to be clean, and no one was there to do it. And so that big M meant, yes, you're the master servant today. I tell worship leaders, I've been a worship leader for 45, 1973, so do the math. <clears throat> um, and I've done all sorts of conferences. and I tell people that want to be worship. Uh, do worship. You are the, you're the biggest servant in the room. It is not about you. It's not about the sound. It's not about the lights. It's you're serving everyone to create an on-ramp from their heart to the heart of God. Amen. Servanthood is it's just got to be a part. And I, there's three areas, and I'm going to have to go through this kind of quickly, but there's three areas when I was looking and just praying about servanthood. Um, okay, Lord, how... You know, people just don't naturally, okay, I'm going to be humble today. <laughs> you know, hi, how are you? I'm being humble right now. You know, it's just, it doesn't work that way. So it's, it's something that's incorporated, I, I think, through life, through what worked and through what didn't work, through what was joyful and through what was painful. And that I'm hoping that over time, that I can, I can increase in understanding and in wisdom and in humility over time. <clears throat> and that through that, there's, there's benefit to it. I don't think God allows us and invites us to something um, without benefit. And so I, I look at it, okay, okay, God, show me some benefits of walking with a humble heart. I think just walking with a humble heart is, is enough. But, I, but God's so good, he actually gives us amazing benefits. And the first one is over in Acts chapter 1, which is just amazing. Um, actually, it's Acts chapter 2 and the, the, the Holy Spirit. Um, when, the, when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all in one accord in one place. <clears throat> and um, I, uh, I have a, a Jewish friend. I was, he was in my wedding and I was in his wedding. And this is what he said. He said the first miracle of Acts was that, and this is what he says. <laughs> I got to say this again. He was an only child. 
He said, so when we come to the table, there would be three of us at the table, and we'd have anywhere from four, five, to six opinions, um, because our opinions would change if someone agreed with us. I said, what? They, don't you want them to agree? He says, no, no, we wanted to argue. He goes, and it's not argue, yell. We wanted to have a different argument. So when someone agreed, we would come up, well, I'm not sure that I really believe that now. And then he, he said, I, why would you do that? He says, we're Jewish. <laughs> That's what we do. So this is what he said about Acts chapter 2. He said, the first miracle is 120 Jewish men and women in one accord. <laughs> now, again, I just think 120 anybody's in one accord is pretty amazing. If we went through this room right now and I ask you questions, sociologic or social uh, economic or whatever kind of question uh, we had, there would be numerous opinions. I don't know if you noticed, but during the election, there were different opinions. <laughs> I mean, people had different opinions about things. And so <clears throat> I think you know, I'm looking up there and God's, God's got the Holy Spirit. He's going, you know, Jesus said, I'm going to send the comforter. And he's looking down at 120 men and women all together. And they're all not arguing, but they're all coming from different places. And then one moment, they're in one accord. God goes, now, go, go, go. <laughs> we might not have this again. <laughs> and so... To be in one accord is to lay something down to prefer somebody else, correct? So when 120 of them are doing it, we've got a moment of humility that does what? It releases the power of the Holy Spirit. What is the benefit of humility? I'll tell you what it is. It releases the power of the Holy Spirit that shut up until we're unified. How do you get unified? I agree with you. No. I love you. I'm not here to agree with you, and I don't expect you to agree with me. I am called to love you and to love you well. If you agree with me, that's awesome. We can have some fun about different things together. If you don't agree, awesome. We probably won't talk about it as much. And that's okay. I'm all right with that. Look back a page to John 21.6. I just, I just love this story. Um, it says, uh, after John 21, after these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples. And in this way, he showed himself. That's <laughs> how, how John wrote that. <clears throat> um, they had said, Simon said, I'm going to go fishing. In verse 3. I said, hey, I'll go with you. In the morning had come, Jesus stood on the shore. The disciples did not know that it was him. This is important. They don't know that it's him. He's standing on the shore. They're discouraged with life. What's going to happen? Who's, you know, are the Romans coming? Uh, did we waste our time with Jesus? What's going to happen? And Peter's going to go fishing. And the other guy's like, yeah, I'm going to go too. <clears throat> There's Jesus on the shore. <clears throat> and the, what he says to them in verse 5 is just amazing. Jesus said to them, children, have you any food? Now, first thing you need to know is they're in these boats that now are called in Israel. I've been there. They're called Jesus boats. The sea, uh, and, uh, the, the sea there, Galilee. And they're only that wide. I've been down there. 
and they're smart. They kept making those boats after Jesus ascended, and they had people come by to pay money to see the kind of boat that Jesus went around it. So <laughs> they've been making them for 2,000 years, and people come by to see the little boats and to get in the boat. This is the size. And you, when you look at it, you go, Jesus and 12 other guys were in this boat. No wonder they were scared. It's not a big boat. It's not the Mayflower, which is not a big boat. And th- th- yeah, that's, that's where they were. And so <clears throat> Jesus says, children, have you caught anything? Now, the word for children, it's a unique uh, Greek word that, <laughs> that means boys, or it can mean little boys. So there you are. You're Peter. You're in the boat. See this guy? You don't know who he is. And he says, hey, little boys. Get anything? <laughs> and one of the guys turns to Peter. goes, did you hear what I heard? He called us little boys. What are you going to do, Peter? I mean, what would Peter have done before? Oh, yeah? You want to see this little boy? Comes out of the boat and comes and just smacks it. No, he doesn't. He stands there and just goes... No. Why? He's just been through a horrible time where he's denied Jesus three times. And he's as low as as he can possibly be. He has not thrown himself on the rock. The rock threw itself on him. We get crushed one of two ways. We either allow ourselves to throw ourselves to to crush and to to get broken, or we... uh, we contend for our uh, agenda until the rock comes and crushes us. And I, because we all, you've all prayed to be more like Jesus. Therefore, you have prayed that God would bring you humility. That's his core nature. That's why he left heaven. So therefore, a spirit of obedience and humility are who Jesus is. And that's what you've prayed for. And so, little boys, have you caught anything? <laughs> and... He says, no. Peter says, no, which I think that's amazing. Okay, Peter, that's amazing. You said no. That's all you did was say no. You didn't argue. You just said no. And then Jesus said, well, cast your net to the other side. It's like, did he say what I thought he said? Because it's this wide. It means picking up nets and putting them down. That's as far as they would go. I can see one of the guys, if they ain't here, they ain't there. (laughs) That's just the way it is. But what does Peter do? He humbles himself and says, I'm a fisherman. I know how to fish. This is how I've made my living. Someone is giving me a different suggestion. And if if it's not working, why don't I humble myself and just try something different? Some of us need to say that in our lives. If it's not working, what does it take to try something different? Some of you are are at a crossroads in life and at a crossroads in your job and in what God's called you, you think God's called you to do and, and you're feeling stuck in an area, but you're not allowing yourself to receive anything from anyone else because you're gonna figure it out. That's not humility. There's a, there's a key 
that if you'll take it, it'll open the door for what you want to go to. <clears throat> and so suddenly Peter <coughs> lifts it, puts it on the other side. Instantly it gets filled up. The scripture says that they were big fish. And there was like 157 of them, I think, if I remember. 157 big fish so that they, they all had to do everything they could not to let it go. And they brought it in. And then they go, oh, it's Jesus. I think a lot of times situations come up that invite us into humility that Jesus is behind it, but we don't know it's him. And so if we don't know it's him, we're not going to do it. I don't know who you are. Who's that idiot on the shore calling me a little boy? Put it on the other side? Are you serious? That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Well, Peter, it hasn't been working. I've been out here all night with you. And I said, you know, what, what does it take? Well, I'll tell you what it took. Humility brought absolute provision. Not just a little provision. Humility opened the door to the largest provision they had ever received. <coughs> I was going to go to 1 Kings. I'm going to skip it. I'm just going to do, go over to 2 Kings. So the first, first Kings has the, the story of uh, Elijah and the widow. And God calls him there and, and says, by the way, this widow is going to take complete care of you. And he gets there and she's got nothing. <laughs> says, Why, you said that she would take complete care of me. And, and <laughs> sometimes God calls us to something and we get there and go, no, it's not what I thought it was going to be. And of course it's not. Because he's God and we're not. And sometimes he invites us to things and it's not what we think it was supposed to be. And we get mad at God and we get arrogant. But that's not what Elijah did. Elijah, oh, you don't have anything. Great. Then I want to give you a chance to respond. Take the little oil and take the little flour and you make me a cake and I'll eat first. And then you can finish it up. And what does she do? She doesn't get mad. She says, all right, I'll serve you. And then what happens? Absolute provision like they'd never had before. I'm seeing sometimes when we're praying, provision, provision, and yet we're, we're sticking to something and, and we're going to pridefully run this out until our idea has had every last, and yet we've never received wisdom from anyone else that's invites us to something that actually could be our provision. We having fun? Is this okay? All right. I want to kind of end with a, <clears throat> a little story here from 2 Kings, which is one of my favorite. <coughs> there was a guy named Naaman. Naaman, uh, it says, command, it's 2 Kings first five, or chapter 5. Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great and honorable man in the eyes of his master. Naaman is the the, uh, he's the top soldier of Syria. If you know anything about history, know anything about Syria, Syria was not somebody, especially at that time, that you, that you messed with. Syria was cruel when they came through. And here he is, the, the commander, the master of the Syrian army. No one messes with Naaman. But Naaman has leprosy. And I, do you, what do they do with lepers in, in the Old and New Testament? What do they do? Help me. Yeah, they, they had to go outside the city. They, they had leper colonies. But Naaman stays in his job. Why? I think it's because who's going to mess with Naaman? 
Naaman's got leprosy. Oh, hmm, the king says, well, we need to cast him out. Really? Who's going to tell him? Uh, you tell him. Oh, I'm not going to tell him. You king, you're the king. You go tell him. I'm not going to tell him. No one's going to tell him because no one messes with Naaman. And he hears that there's this guy in Israel that if, if you go to him, that you'll be healed. So Naaman gets this big caravan together, all sorts of gifts to give to the, to the heavenly prophet. He gets there, it's Elisha. And it says that <clears throat> um, in, it was when, uh, verse 9, Naaman went with his horses and chariots and he stood at the door of Elisha's house. I love this. Yes. It's Naaman, commander of the Syrian army. I'm here to see your master. Yes, it's not It says, Elijah told his messenger to talk to him. Hi, I'm Bobby. I'm Naaman. I'm here to see your master. It's not going to happen. He's busy. <laughs> but I came all this way. I have all the chariots. I, I have all these gifts. Yeah. He told me to tell you, go down to the river and dunk seven times. God bless you. <laughs> that's, that's really what happened. He goes, What? Well, after all I've gone through, yeah, 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 it's really good. This is going to be great. Okay, I got to go. <laughs> and he's there, and all his men are like, what did he say? Climb the mountain backwards? <laughs> Slay 100 men? No, I'm, I'm supposed to dunk seven times in the Jordan. And the word there for dunk is to bob like a child. So he said, Naaman, go down to the river and bob like a little kid. Because <laughs> do what? Yes, and all, the, all his men are there. Oh, this is going to be good. Don't you watch. Can't help it, sir. <laughs> they're standing on the banks looking down at Naaman, and he, he steps into the water, and they're like, you imagine what he's feeling right then? I am the commander of the army of Syria. And I have to bob in the water like a little kid. So he goes down once. Now, if, I don't know if, I, but if I were Naaman, I would be looking at my hands or whatever was wrong with me every time. And he goes once and twice and three and four and five. He comes out the sixth time. He's going, kid, now you've been to that place in God where you've gone the sixth time. But the promise is in the seventh time. Sometimes we stop at three and say, screw this. What does it take to go from three to seven? Humility. And what happens when I get to seven? He's totally healed. Humility, I believe, I believe humility is connected to physical healing. There are times that we need to humble ourselves, call for the elders, we need to go see a doctor, we need to stop eating that, we need to do something different, we need to humble and change our lives in an area and that God's going to respond. 
Do I think that's all the time? No. God just loves to heal. He's a healer. I, I pray for people that need healing. I believe God's going to touch them. <clears throat> but my heart, when I read the story of Naaman, it goes to the one moment where he had a choice to keep, to keep in an, an atmosphere of humility or to step outside and say, this is stupid. I'm not, I'm not going to look foolish in front of other people. And sometimes humility lets us look foolish and we don't want to ever look foolish so we miss the provision that God has. Christmas is the ultimate sign of humility. Our hearts should be so grateful. Not just, I, I just thought that was hilarious. I think what Philip said, um, was it Philip or, no, no, it was, uh, it was Major. Uh, he said, you know, the baby Jesus will be here next week. I just think that, that's awesome. But if, if we could capture the innocence that was in that baby Jesus, if we could capture the beauty and the, the idea that, that the simplicity that humility brings to a lifestyle is an absolute amazing. Let me close with this. I, where is uh, my wonderful Aaron? Or not Aaron. Um, <laughs> Noah, thank you. I'm going through the different prophets. and, and uh, I know. Is Noah around? Oh, let's give it up for Noah. You see? <laughs> Talk about a humble man. <clears throat> Let me ask you a question. When you walk into a room, what are you thinking? You walk into a room, do you go, here I am? Or do you walk into a room and go, oh, there you are. One is here, the other is there. It's an, it's, it's, Lord, help a light go on in my heart. Show me the areas where I still uh, take too much place and others don't have place. When you're listening to a conversation, are you waiting for them to stop talking so you can talk? How many of us do that? You're thinking, I wish they would end. I've got something really important to say while they're saying something really important. But humility doesn't doesn't want to hear the completeness of others. Humility wants to express the completeness of yourself. <clears throat> I think Christmas is an invitation to humility because it's an invitation to be more like Jesus. You teach what you know, but you impart who you are. That's why Jesus had to set aside the teaching of a 12-year-old to become a man to impart humility and to impart who he was. It took another 18 years as he grew before God and man. And at 30 years old, after he served his mother and served his family well, his younger brothers and sisters, because humility is the expression of 1 Corinthians 13 where it says, love suffers long and is kind. A lot of people suffer long, but they're not kind. That scripture is not love suffers long and separately love is kind. It's connected. When you're suffering, are you kind? When you're hurting, does everybody else have to hurt with you? When you're sick in your house, does everybody else have to feel horrible because of how you act when you're sick? When your family comes in this week and there's strain because you have different opinions politically, different opinions about this or that, can you lay down your opinion 
and just be the brother, father, son, mother, sister that you were growing up? Can we take this week and lay down our agendas, humble ourselves, and let Jesus come into the midst of our gatherings? Because in a kingdom, we celebrate not just who a person is, but we stop being disappointed in who they're not. Close your eyes just for a second. Just lift your hand. Lift a hand up or two. Lord, you have the power of the Holy Spirit. You give provision and healing. Who knows what else is there waiting for us if we just walk in a spirit of humility? Imagine, help us imagine what doors would open for us. Help us see our marriages and our relationships saved even because we decide we don't have to be right. We just have to love well. Lord, I ask for a key for each of us to open the doors because you're, you say, let every heart prepare him room. So we take this time now to prepare the humble one to have room in our hearts. Not just for the week, not just for the holiday, but as a lifestyle that we would carry the master key that opens every door. Thank you for each one here. Thank you that you take us on that journey, that you love us as we are, but you love us enough to help us grow and go deeper into you. Be glorified in our homes and our hearts this week. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Sermon of the Week. We hope you've been blessed by this message. If you'd like to partner with us, you have the opportunity to give online at providencecommunity.org. 